may this, pra- may this talk be of benefit to you and be of service and support in your practice. I offer that because in thinking about this talk of what to say to you tonight that would be helpful, I was thinking about the Buddha and all the different things that he said over the long course of his teaching and always adjusting what he had to say to the conditions, to the people, sometimes repeating himself, sometimes coming at it from a different angle. But in the end, when he was about to die, and as the story goes, he was lying between the two sala trees, which were blooming out of season. And he was laying there on the ground and he had finished all the different instructions and uh, ordained the last person and assured Ananda that everything was in place and just sort sort of did the final cleaning. Then his last words, his last words, he said, Behold, practitioners, I exhort you. All things are subject to change. All compounded things are subject to vanish. Strive on with heedfulness. Sometimes it's translated as Conditions fall apart. Persist with diligence. Strive with earnestness. However you translate it, there's a real invitation there. That this, uh, an invitation to really step into it as Tuwari was sharing with us the other day, that if you want to cross the flood, you have to really step into your practice. And so this evening, I want to talk about this quality of energy and its friend, wise effort. These were his last words, to make effort. And energy is the most repeated quality in all those different Buddhist lists that Brian said we, he wasn't sure he wanted to remember them. <laughs> but energy shows up again and again, the Pali word virya. And it takes effort and energy to wake up out of our delusion. We have accumulated patterns and habits. There's so much that is coming into us. Like how old, how long? Forever. You know, we carry um, our primitive instincts. We carry the 
all the habits and conditions of our great-great-great-grandparents and our grandparents and our parents and our culture and our society. We have so much that we carry. And some of it is beautiful, of course. And there's a lot of delusion, a lot of greed, a lot of aversion. And to meet this, the courage it takes to see this and to see how it causes suffering, to see our actions and to meet that and slowly erode these habits, abandon them and replace them with wholesome qualities. This is no small task. But as we do this, each time we meet the moment that is here, we meet this, we are being invited to cut through our delusion, to see things clearly. From Rumi. The breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. You must ask for what you really want. Don't go back to sleep. People are going back and forth across the door sill where the two worlds touch. The door is round and open. Don't go back to sleep. to lean in and put in the energy, to cultivate the energy and put in the effort over and over. This is our practice. Now, you've heard again and again here, and many times as you've practiced, this is not about striving. We keep saying, relax, have ease, settle back. And then here I am saying, and the Buddha saying, strive on with, you know, with diligence. Okay, so how do we balance? How do we reconcile these instructions? And that's what I'd like to sort of see if we can explore in this tonight. One thing to recognize is that the quality of energy, virya, in itself is neutral, okay? It can, in that it's neither wholesome nor unwholesome in and of itself. Energy is energy, right? And it can get paired with wholesome qualities and it can get paired with unwholesome qualities. Person can have a lot of energy and be, and combine it with anger and that's not skillful. You can have a lot of energy and combine it with wanting to wake up now, which has some wholesomeness in it, but that striving and the me, can you hear there's a me in there, that I want to awaken. The really sad thing about awakening, if you haven't heard it, is the me doesn't get to do it. It's one insult after another to the sense of I. 
So the quality, this energy, has to find a balanced place combined with other qualities. To where he talked about the river the other day and the raft. And I'm someone who does spend a lot of time on rivers and rowing down rivers. And And when you are on a river, you have to go with the river. You have to know when the river is taking you where you need to go and when you need to pull or push to be in a different place. You need to know when the river is calm and you can be easeful and relaxed. To do a bunch of hard work then makes no sense at all. On the other hand, you're in the middle of a rapid and you're about to hit a rock. It's a good time to work very hard and stay off of that. You need to respond to the conditions. There's a picture someone took of me in one of my better moments. I was in the middle of a very large rapid called Lava Rapid in the bottom of the Grand Canyon. I was rowing my raft through it. And it was somebody with a very high-resolution camera that I didn't know standing on the shore. And they took this picture, and they later sent it to me. And I've kept the picture, and I use it as a reminder. Because in that situation, right, we all have the places where we can maintain our balance. That happens to be one where I can. So in this picture... There is raging water all around me. The raft is basically invisible in huge waves. But you can clearly see my face. And I look sort of out of place, calm, and very focused. And I love looking at that picture as a reminder to myself of what it's like to be in the midst of the storm and holding steady. And you can think for yourself. Each of us has a place, a way that we've learned this, that we know this. And so part of our practice is to call this back up in ourselves. And the more we practice and the more we call this up, the more we find and know what it feels like in our body and how we can meet each moment, each storm, with that kind of steadiness. We see this sometimes, something I'm not that great at, is skiing. Downhill skiing or through the powder, I sort of flail along and have a good time or used to when I still had knees that worked. But um, I look at really good skiers and you can see this kind of perfect meeting of the amount of effort that is needed. And there's a lot of energy, but you can hardly see it. This is often the way you can tell, right, the difference of a beginner in something and an experienced person. 
whether it's in music or art or an athletic activity, and in meditation. As we get more and more skilled, the energy becomes more the amount that's actually needed to meet the moment, rather than all the extra. I think it was Brian who said something about that sometimes practicing when you're tired, if you can bring enough energy to be awake, because we just don't have extra energy to flail around. And so we just meet what's here. And this is in some ways inviting this art of meditation, recognizing that it's a skill And energy is a big part of this skill. There's some words that that, um, are often used in combination with this word virya. In fact, different translations will use it differently. So energy, strength, courage, Persistence, constancy, vigor. Just see how those land in you. You might find that you have more affinity for some of those words and other ones, other aspects you might say, or not so appealing, or some that you very much have a, you might even tend to overuse, and some that aren't developed. You might notice if in general, do you tend to have a lot of energy in practice? Do you, are you someone that's like really pushing? Or do you tend to be a little settled back and maybe even a little loose a little what's your tendency this is very useful to know now it can change from sit to sit and retreat to retreat and year to year but having a sense of your tendency kind of gives you a place to start with your experimentation of oh yeah I usually have more energy and tend to make myself restless with the amount of energy I'm putting in then it's like oh okay then I should it might be possible for me to experiment with using less the Buddha had this uh, metaphor he used he was speaking to Sona a it's uh, actually a Vuna Vina, but it's like a lute, a, a lyre. That Sona was a player of the lyre. And he tells Sona, you know, like if the strings on your instrument are too loose, the sound is not good. If the inst- strings on your instrument are too tight, the sound is not good. And then he says, in the same way, Sona, over-aroused persistence leads to restlessness. Overly slack persistence leads to laziness. Thus, you should determine the right pitch for your persistence. 
attune the pitch of the faculties and there pick up your theme. One of the things in playing with this balancing of the energies, of your energy, is we can't be afraid to, to fail. I like it. There's a story of a Zen master who says, my life is one long series of mistakes. We learn from that. We don't be afraid to experiment. Oh, what's it like if I put in more? What happens when I put in less? Ajahn Chah has a famous story. I think somebody might have said something about this, but where he says, you know, people are sort of going down a path. Well, actually, the way the story goes is somebody came to him and said, I've been listening to you giving advice to different people and giving, helping support their practice. And some people you say, go left, go left. And some people you say, go right, go right. It's like you're giving opposing information. And he says, no, no, I'm just watching. And some people fall off on one side or in another time fall off. And we just keep doing this. I think of the idea that balance, is, there is no permanent state of balance. You know, it's like you're always about to fall off on one side or the other. You know, when you first start driving a car, you think, oh, if I get it right, I just hold the steering wheel. Well, we know that would never work, you know. And after a while, we just get used to the little slight adjustments that it takes. And if you've had the misfortune of being in the car when somebody's learning, you know that that's a learned skill, that it can be pretty ragged at first. So we have to be willing to try again and again. I'll read you a fun poem from Rosemary Watula Tromer that says, No slam dunk, but every day a second chance, as if all of life before has been one big shot, and today I get to try again. Get to forgive, get to be kind, get to let go, be open, be gentle with myself. Get to learn, unlearn, play again. I think of Michael Jordan, and though I don't, uh, and though I know nothing of basketball, I know he missed more than 9,000 shots and lost nearly 300 games and missed the winning shot 26 times. I know Michael Jordan was named by the NBA as the greatest player of all time. Every morning, though I can't dribble or shoot any more than I can flap my arms and fly, I step onto the court of the new day and let myself take the next shot and miss and take the next shot again every day, a new foul. Every day I want to argue with the ref Every day, I realize it does no good to argue. At the end of the day, I see how I am the basket, the ball, the bounce, the pass, the MVP, the sub, the booing, the cheers. I am the one who keeps score. And I am the one who marvels when, sweet miracle, the score is reset to zero. And I'm given another chance. 
how is it to make the winning shot? That's our practice, to just keep stepping in and doing it again. And I love that phrase, he missed whatever it was, 3,000 shots. That's the nature of our practice, not so different. So we can learn to use the different kinds of energy and effort. So for instance, using courageous effort. What what would that look like, courageous effort? Sitting and walking longer, perhaps? Staying up, as some of you did last night, and there'll be more opportunities if you like? Sitting with something uncomfortable? Can you feel it? It's kind of like you're, just, you're going outside of your comfort zone. This is something that is very important in our practice. I have a little uh, visual that I like to share, which is we, you can sort of imagine a bandwidth, and we're comfortable with life as it stays within the bandwidth. And our tendency is when something goes out of the bandwidth, our tendency is to try to mush it back into our comfort zone. That's, that's our natural instinct. That's not comfortable. Let's get it back to where it is. The invitation in our practice is instead when something goes outside our bandwidth to see if we can expand our bandwidth to include it. And then when something else goes outside, expand some more. And perhaps one way of understanding awakening is that there's no edges to our bandwidth. Everything is included. So to play with this edge when things go outside of the bandwidth, takes courage. It takes interest in exploring that, what's there in our response. It takes a kind of willingness. This is where that quality of Dhamma Vichaya, which means explorations of the Dhamma, this exploring what is investigating what we don't already know. And this is not a should. If we go into it with a kind of, I should do this, we're already tight and um, cultivating, continuing to cultivate a kind of aversion to what we're meeting. So often we have to do this in steps. It doesn't help, you know, to the first time you stay up a little to decide you're going to stay up all night. It's like, oh, what's it like? You know, if I push it a little bit. What if I sit a little longer? What if I sit with this discomfort some? How is it to feel this emotion that I'm unfamiliar with, even though it's a little uncomfortable? Can I be with it? So at other times, the kind of effort that might be more helpful is perseverance or constancy. So that's when we get, if we've gotten too tight, 
it might be rather than pushing up against the edge or beyond the edge, it might be that we just need that very steady, I'm just going to show up. I don't know exactly, I can't control what's going to happen, but I'm going to show up. Sometimes when the practice has gotten really rocky and rough, then it's like, just come back to the schedule and just do the schedule. And you can't control the, how the meditation goes or, you know, what your mind does on the walking, but you just have the persistence and you just stay and stay just enough effort to try to be present as much as possible. Relaxing without collapsing. When it goes poorly, going to your room and hiding under your blankets, which I have done, um, is not persistence. It's keep trying, keep trying. Sometimes our energy can get hijacked for some sort of desire for a gain or a goal. And it's good to recognize that. If you feel that, you know, I'm pushing because I want a certain experience or I want something to happen, then it's like, oh, okay, I'm coupling this with an unwholesome and I need to back off a little. Allowing this energy, do you may recall as Brian was talking, Energy, there's like the interest and energy and joy. So if your energy is taking you down instead of taking you into a place of uh, cultivating those sprouts that Brian was pointing to, then really using what he was talking about last night, that paying attention to the beauty, paying attention, coupling that with your energy is very, very important. I always think about, as as I talk about this, that, you know, the Buddha on the night of his awakening made a resolution. He said, I am going to sit here and I will not arise from this place until I am fully awake. Striving? Balanced? I don't know. One would hope that he had a sense of the very balanced nature of his factors of awakening so that there was in this a courageous effort but not striving. So balanced energy... When the energy is balanced, it manifests as right effort. So that's energy coupled with wisdom. Wise effort arises. This is what allows the energy to be pointed in the right direction. And there are four right efforts. The four right efforts are summarized as to prevent the arising of unarisen, unwholesome states. I'll read it a second time because there's a lot of double negatives in there, but I'm going to come back and say more about them. 
to prevent the arising of unarisen, unwholesome states. The second wise effort is to abandon unwholesome states that have already arisen. The third wise effort is to arouse wholesome states that have not yet arisen. And the fourth, to maintain and perfect wholesome states that are already arisen. So let's start with that preventing the arising of unarisen, unwholesome states. What are the ways, sometimes we can start to see some of our habits and patterns that cause unwholesome states to arise. I don't think they do it anymore. I haven't seen it, but I haven't been in and out the front door. But I remember being here on three-month retreat, and there would be like piles of packages at the front door. And if you were a yogi, you would go there and get your package. Well, if you're someone who didn't get packages, you walked by them all the time. And even if you knew you didn't have a package, there'd be a temptation to go look and see if somehow your name was on one of those packages. That is a good way to cause to arise an unwholesome state that has not yet arisen. to scan through the cloakroom and survey everybody's warmer coat than the one you brought, (laughs) we'll do it. We all have our different ways to pick up a certain thought. Like you remember we talked about thoughts and thinking? You see a thought go by, and as you reach for it, You might notice, you might be able to see, if I grab a hold of that thought, I am going to cause to arise an unwholesome state. Not useful. Not useful. Sometimes on retreat, one of the things that we talk about is sense restraint. And what that is pointing to is that we can you know, see things, hear things, move out into the world in a way where we're cultivating desire and aversion. And so the sense restraint is a kind of staying here, not going out and looking for trouble. And it can be quite literal. You know, you can walk around... Many times people choose on retreat to walk around with their eyes more downcast so that they're not out seizing the world or choose to have a different relationship with the food. As we've talked about, renunciation is one of the ways that we support this. So the second one, to abandon unwholesome states that have arisen. This was what Matthew was sharing with us about the hindrances. That these unwholesome states arise and we turn to them 
and we get to know them and we're not stuck in an unwholesome relationship with them. One of the unwholesome states that comes up a lot for all, for many people, I shouldn't say everyone, for many of us in our daily lives, and it gets, it, it gets very stark on retreat, is judgment, self-judgment, judgment of others, a kind of critique of ourselves and others. And I'm going to talk about some of the ways of working with judgment as an example of how you can work with unwholesome states that can be abandoned. And the Buddha had some, a couple specific suggestions that I'm going to include in this. The first suggestion he had, we used an analogy of removal of a coarse peg by inserting a finer one. So you're having the thought, I'm not doing this right. So a kind of self-judgment. I'm failing at this. You know, you can amplify from there in your own version. And you can replace this with a finer one, with a just, I'm doing the best I can in this moment. This is what is possible for me right now. Ah, oops. Oh, it's okay, sweetheart. It's okay. You're doing fine. So that's replacing the thought. It's not trying to necessarily go to a different sense gate or something, but just trying to replace it with something that can help abandon that unwholesome state. The Buddha had a second one that he suggested. He said, reflect that the thoughts are un- or this unwholesome state is unskillful, reprehensible, and result in suffering. And then he says, like a dead snake or dead dog around your neck. <laughs> For real. <laughs> so in this case, that might be like you're having this thought that like, you know, a big critique of how someone's doing their walking meditation. If they are, they, they're in my walking place. Why didn't they, they should have known that that's where I am going all the time. And I've been using that same spot. And now the arrogance of that person to just show up and take my walking spot. You can't pretend that nobody in this room has had that thought. That is a dead snake around your neck, for sure. And you can feel that. You, what, by like feeling and going, oh, wow, that is harmful to me. That hurts. It's unple- it's, it, I am creating suffering here. And... To be kind to myself is not to carry around that snake. And if this is where it's very useful to have the courage to feel the suffering, to acknowledge that this is painful.
Another one is to recognize, and this one's a little bit tricky, but recognize the causes and conditions that have caught that this unwholesome state has caused this unwholesome state to arise. Now, by this, I don't mean um, trying to tell your whole life story and all the causes and conditions from everywhere that have come into this moment. But it can be useful, say with judgments, to recognize one of the things is to recognize, oh, there's some impersonal factors here that I, uh, one of the things that can be helpful is in the judging, in the self-critic, and some of you I've talked with about this, is recognize if there's the voice of one of your parents or a attitude of your family of origin or the culture in a particular judgment. You know, if you notice that you're judging about a certain way somebody is, then, oh, I didn't make this up. This is me, the sponge, acquiring this view from the world. Oh, this way I'm constantly criticizing myself. God, this is exactly what my mother did. She was always criticizing herself, and she was always criticizing me. Of course I would be pick up that tendency. So there's a way we can start to recognize that the impersonal nature of it, that we acquired it. And this helps diffuse some of the belief that we're bad or wrong for having the judgment or the critique. Oh, that's what's happening here. And then to be kind, to be kind. And then you might also recognize how these judgments or these unwholesome states, whatever the unwholesome state is, may have served you. That, to, that being self-critical has made you work harder, has kept you from doing things that were at error, especially when we're young. And you can go, oh, yeah, this was useful when I didn't know ethical behavior. This self-criticizing voice kept me in line. But now I know what ethical behavior is. I can feel this in my body. I'm wiser than that. I don't need this voice telling me what to do. So you can say, thank you. Thank you, self-judgment. Thank you, critical. I get it that you're trying to help, and I don't need your help anymore. Sometimes this works with other unwholesome states as well, that we can feel anger coming up, and, we were, and it's like, oh, this is how I had to meet the world to get my needs met. I had to be big and strong and push harder. Oh, no wonder... I don't need to do that now. Another important aspect with these unwholesome states is to be kind. That we have to bring in kindness. 
to recognize that it's a habit and to not be in a fight with it. That which we resist persists. The unwholesome state does not get abandoned by pushing it away. It gets recognized, seen for what it may have done, seen as not useful, and asked to go out. Now, it is true that sometimes, even after we've done all that, the habit energy, the habit energy of certain thoughts, of certain judgments, of certain unwholesome states may be so strong that even though we look at it and we go, oh my God, I've worked through all this, I see it, I recognize, it just keeps coming back. And the Buddha, uh, I'll give you two options here. First, I'll give you the one from the Buddha that I'm not as sure about, but it's the Buddha. So this is what he says. With her teeth clenched and her tongue pressed against the roof of her mouth, beat down, constrain and crush mind with mind. As a strong woman beats down, constrains and beats a weaker man. You can try it. (laughs) Sometimes there is a way it kind of works. And the way is like this thing comes up and you just go, no, no, I am not going there. I have been down that track a million times. No. And there's a way we can bring up some courageous effort and energy and go, No, not doing it. And that can be skillful. For that to be skillful, though, you have to have gone through through these other steps. And you're just pushing away the habit energy. You're not um, unwilling to acknowledge all the other aspects that I've said, that it had a reason, that there's kindness. So you're doing the no not out of aversion, for what's there, but out of immense kindness to yourself. Different motivation. There's one more that I'd like to share, one more way that I'd like to share with you that is one of the wonderful, beautiful ones, which is to remember that image of Mara that Mara was this nagger, this nagging, um, unwholesome voice, being that kept coming to the Buddha. And what's so interesting is that this, that Mara kept coming to the Buddha and trying to lead him astray, lead him down the path of unwholesome mind states, unwholesome actions, even after he was enlightened. Mara kept showing up. Isn't that interesting? 
find that fascinating. So this habit energy, these conditions, it's going to keep happening. And as you know, on the night of the Buddha's awakening, when Mara came and said the most, hmm, how do you say, the most jabby thing he could think of at the end of all sorts of trying to play with his greed and aversion. And when he said, who do you think you are to fully awaken? That is the most severe self-judgment, self-critic, diminishment that Mara could come up with. And the Buddha reached down and touched the ground. As the ground is my witness. And there's wonderful stories of the the earth rising up, the earth goddess, and wringing out her hair and sweeping Mara away in the floods. No. No. We are each enough. You are good. You are wholesome. You are kind. You have every right to be here. And to say that to yourself when the self-critic is beating down on you, to put your hand to the ground when the unwholesome states, when Mara is here, to say, I see you, Mara. I love saying, I see you, Mara. It makes us, it helps us recognize that this is the causes and conditions accumulated. We don't have to follow Mara down the path of unwholesome. One last aspect of, of, getting, of eliminating the unwholesome that I want to name is sometimes it helps to recognize that when we do or say, or when we do a certain action or have a certain thought, we're putting that action or thought, that habit, into our mind stream. So the best example that I know of for this is when you... Let's see, there was chocolate out last night. Oh, and there were cookies for those of you who stayed late. Those of you who didn't stay late now know you missed the cookies. (laughs) Maybe you'll stay late next time. Um, But, you know, you take a cookie. And then there's like a, maybe I should go get another cookie. And maybe getting that other cookie is not a problem. It's nobody's, you know. It's fine. But it's always interesting. Is it going to feed the tendency of wanting what you don't have? Is it going to feed the tendency that you always want a second cookie? And if I'm any example, the answer is yes. (laughs) So, you know, sometimes I notice I make a choice 
not to do something, not because it's really a problem, but because I can see it's cultivating, that I'm practicing something that isn't really what I want to cultivate and practice. And you recognize this? Because what we do, what fire, what fires together, wires together, to put in the neuroscience, it's like what we practice, what we do, tends to arise again. So when there is an unwholesome desire or uh, an aversion, when we feed it, it's likely to come back again. So sometimes it can be like, eh, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to feed this. Okay, enough of the unwholesome. The third wise effort. Arouse wholesome states that have not yet arisen. Isn't that wonderful to know that is one of the foundational instructions? And Brian did such a wonderful job of speaking to that attitude towards the 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 flowers coming up through the ground and the possibility of paying attention to those as they start to arise and pulling them up. When we do a metta practice or any Brahma Vihara uh, practice, we are cultivating the arising of wholesome states. When we sit here and do our practice and cultivate Samadhi, the collecting of the mind, we're cultivating the wholesome. When we, when something bumpy happens and we sit there and we are steady and equanimity arises, we're cultivating the wholesome. And it's so good, as Brian talked about, to notice that, to encourage it. This is not a lesser practice. This is absolutely important. This is leading us towards freedom. And to the fourth wise effort, to maintain and perfect wholesome states that have already arisen. Sometimes, People come into a practice discussion and they say, well, I don't know if I'm doing it right. I'm kind of having like a really good time. (laughs) And it's like, yes, it's okay. You can have a good time. I remember a yogi that came on a retreat that I taught. And it was his first week-long retreat. And after about a day or two, he started wandering around with this great big smile on his face. He was just so happy. And um, I talked to him and practiced discussions. And I said, wow. And he's just like, oh, I'm just in such a state of bliss. And it's so nice. And I'm like, oh, that's so great. That's so great. It'll probably change. And, you know, so just know that week went by came to other retreats, and kept going. His life, he, he somehow, his practice has unfolded with just this undercurrent of a big smile and bliss. 
has not prevented the deepening of his practice. I don't think we can make that happen, but we can allow it. We can orient in that direction. And as we do this, as we put the energy in, as we make the effort, and as our mind collects, we also come to the place of effortless effort. Where we've set up the conditions, and you've all experienced that. You know those sits where it's like, You've been practicing maybe for many days or for that day. And then you sit down and somehow there's a state of balance. And you're just carried moment to moment. And in that moment, it's really important to let it be. It doesn't need. Your practice doesn't need you to put in more effort to put in a bunch of energy it's happening and your job is to go along to tell you one more uh, rafting story there's a rapid on the grand canyon that is pretty challenging rapid in fact i've been down there and People in my group a couple times have flipped their rafts there and sort of everything going everywhere kind of mess. And I was totally amused when I heard some people camped up above this rapid and the water came up in the night and they hadn't done a good job of tying in their boats, which who knows what that was about, bad idea. But their boats uh, floated free and floated on downstream. And the next morning they realized it and they had to run down the rapids with everybody and go see what happened to their boats. The boats, unattended, went through this very difficult rapid just fine. (laughs) They were just down below the rapid in an eddy sitting there. (laughs) So if the raft is headed in the right direction... Don't mess it up. Just ride along when it all comes together. Our job is to show up as fully as we can and to be as responsive as we can to the conditions that are here. And when we can arouse the courage, arouse the persistence. Strive on with diligence. And here's from Mary Oliver, a more poetic version of that same thing. She puts it this way, the Buddha's last instructions. She says, make of yourself a light. That's her poetic translation of those last words. Make of yourself a light, said the Buddha before he died. 
I think of this every morning as the east begins to tear off its many clouds of darkness to send up the first signal, a white fan streaked with pink and violet, even green. An old man, he lay down between two sala trees, and he might have said anything, knowing it was his final hour. The light burns upward, it thickens and settles over the fields. Around him, the villagers gathered and stretched forward to listen. Even before the sun itself hangs detached in the blue air, I am touched everywhere by its ocean of yellow waves. No doubt he thought of everything that had happened in his difficult life. And then I feel the sun itself as it blazes over the hills like a million flowers on fire. Clearly, I am not needed. Yet I feel myself turning into something of inexplicable value. Slowly, beneath the branches, he raised his head. He looked into the faces of that frightened crowd. Let's let the words rest for a moment. Make of yourself a light, said the Buddha before he died. Strive on with diligence. Thank you. Thank you for your practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.